1 Chronicles 29. And we want to begin with verse 1. Let's all stand together. <laughs> then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this pedial structure, which means this grand structure, uh, he's talking about the temple here, is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of God. And then he mentions these things, silver, bronze, iron, precious stones, all of these in large quantities, beginning with verse 3 now. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. And drop down to the end of verse 5. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. I'm going down to verse 9 now. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all of our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O oh Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly with an honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give Solomon, my son, the wholehearted devotion to keep your commandments, requirements, decrees, and to do everything to build the platial structure for which I have provided. And then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. And they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low. 
and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. The Lord and his blessings to the reading of his scripture. You may be seated. So this is the last week we're going to be looking at the life of David. I hope it's been helpful to you. And right here, we're looking at David. David's about ready to die. And under David, Israel has never had a better experience of nationhood. There was more unity. There was more prosperity. There was more strength as a nation than ever before. And it was clear in David's kingship that God had been with them. And now they're afraid to see David leave. And David confronts, in verse 1, confronts their fears. He says, my son Solomon, my son Solomon, that's his successor, is young and inexperienced. And the people were saying, duh, you know, we know who this kid is. You know, we, we, we get it. Uh, we don't think he has what it takes to lead this nation. And the reason this is a problem is that when people connect to God, I don't care who you are, when people connect to God or begin to connect to God in their life, there's almost always a human bridge. Almost always. A friend, perhaps, or a counselor, or a parent, or a pastor. And this person knows more about God than you do. And this person bridges that gap in your life. And you begin to sense the reality of God's and God's love and God's truth in your life, but they're leaving. They're leaving and they're, they're moving out of your life. And so you're thinking, how is God going to work in my life now? This person's been so important to me. Robert Murray McShane, is, who was a 19th century Scottish minister, composed a sermon, and that sermon was based on Hosea 14, verse 8. And it was entitled this, what have I to do anymore with idols? What have I to do anymore with idols? And he looked at his congregation, his people, and he started listing all of their, can you imagine, started listing all of their idols. It's a great list. And he gets to one item on the list, which he calls ministers. Ministers. And essentially he says, you have good reason to love ministers, don't you? Hello. <laughs> Amen. You have good reason to love ministers. Let me say that again. They love you. They watch over your souls, you know, but don't make an idol of them. And that's what he was trying to say in his sermon. And McShane is saying, if you identify someone, thank you, and say, that person is how God is working in my life. If I lose that person, McShane says, then that person is an idol. That person is an idol. What does David say is the solution to all of this? First thing he says in verse 1, he says, God chose my son, right? God, God's in charge here. God chose my son. That's the first thing that he says. And then he also says, with all my resources, I'm going to die, but I put my heart into this. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. I've, I've put myself into him, into this whole thing. 
Someone has calculated, and I don't know how they do this, but someone calculated that in modern day dollars, that the value of David's gifts just in, in silver was $450 million as he gave to the temple. In gold, in today's standard, $17 billion. Um, and what happens next is incredible. As we read in the scripture there, David starts an avalanche of giving. An avalanche of giving. It's the greatest single financial offering ever given in one day. Think about this. In verses, in verses 6 through 9 that we didn't read because it's just a list of the things they were doing, it tells how the people of God joined in giving. The people of God joined in all this giving. And that's not all. Remember last week when we were talking about David buying the land from, um, from Arana? He was buying land, the threshing floor. God told him to do that. But he also bought the hill that it was on where the temple was going to be built. That, that land cost about a billion dollars. So David's a very wealthy individual. What would become known all over the world as Solomon's temple, right, was paid for in one day. It was paid for in one day. Um, David says, when I die, when I die, that under Solomon, he wants the people of Israel to build this temple. Why? Why? You might think, well, he wants, and, and people think this way, he wants a monument to himself. I mean, he's done, he's done a, a great work here. He wants a monument, a big temple, in memory of the great King David. You know, no, 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 no. Here's what David is thinking. Well, back to one chapter, chapter 28 and verse 2. It tells us there, it tells us, David says to the people of Israel, I want you to build a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant. David says, listen, listen, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm not your bridge to God. I'm not anybody. You don't need me. You need the presence of God in your life. And that's how he's ending his life here. This, I believe, would be every pastor's prayer. I hope this would be every pastor's prayer when they conclude ministry. When they're done, my dad's last sermon was from Jude. There's only one chapter there. And, it, and, and, and the title of his sermon, I remember the title. I don't remember everything he said, but he, it was, Keep Yourselves in the Love of God. That was the title. Keep Yourselves in the Love of God. I pray that the presence of God would saturate you, saturate this church, that you know the presence of God. Why is David so concerned here about the ark? To understand David, you have to understand the ark. And we've talked about this over the last several weeks, the ark of the covenant. It's a major, major theme in David's life. The ark was made by Moses, right? A, a, a wooden box overlaid with gold, on top, there is a slab of gold called the mercy seat. There's two angels on the top that are looking at each other. And they're at the mercy seats. This is where, this is the bridge. This is where people came to meet God. 
There at the mercy seat was the miraculous, life-changing presence of God. And we know that only the priest could go in. We know all that we talked about that. And the ark is bigger than a symbol. It was where God met his people. Think of the importance of this. David's not after a monument. He's building the temple and he's saying, keep yourselves before God. Keep yourselves in the presence of God. And history says when Moses and Joshua were coming up out of Egypt, that the ark was, it was a powerful presence, a powerful object. You touch it, what? You die. You touch it, you die. Remember Jericho? They're walking around Jericho. They go get the ark. They're, they got the ark. They're going around. The, the walls fall down. Centuries later, the ark is in the tabernacle. And the priest now, this is later, Eli. And you remember what was going on here with this priest? Eli the priest. And in the days of Eli, Israel had become corrupt from top to bottom. I could, I could, I could go over a lot of this. Just a corrupt, corrupt priest and nation. And at one time they were fighting the Philistines and the battle was going really poorly. And somebody says, hey, let's, let's go get the ark. Let's go get the ark. Remember Jericho. It's like, remember the Alamo. Remember Jericho. Remember Jericho. No dirty, nasty pagans are going to touch the ark. You know, get the ark. Get the ark. And they go and they get the ark and everybody cheers. And everybody's happy. And they go out on the battle with the ark and they're slaughtered. 30,000 died. 30,000 died. And the Philistines put their hands on the ark and they touched it and they danced around it and nothing happened. And they looked at Israel and they said, that proves that our God is bigger than your God. Our God's bigger than your God. But then every Philistine town, we talked about this before, where they put the ark was... The ark was a trophy, and they'd take it from town to town, and every town was wiped out by a plague. Remember? Remember? When they first touched it, no problem. But then they touched it, and it was a problem, you know? And finally, it's almost comical. They, they put it on a wagon with two cows without any driver, and they sent it back to Israel because it was a problem. We don't want to deal with this. This is weird, you know? So over here, touch it, you die. Over here, touch it, nothing. Over here, you go to battle, you win. Over here, you go to battle, you lose. What's up with that? What's up with that? It's a box. It's a box. It's a box. You can't put God in a box and call him when you want to call him to do whatever you think you want to do. God's presence is never tied to any object, person, or method. Never, never, never. To any pastor, any leader. So that if you control the object and the person and the method, you control God. He's sovereign God. He's sovereign God, uncontrollable. Unstoppable. I've had people say to me, you know, I've given up on God. And you've probably had that too. I've given up on God. I've, I've lived a good life. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm better than my friends. I, I don't know how they know this. 
You know, I'm better than my neighbors. I've asked God for this, and I've asked God for this, and it hasn't happened. And I don't ask God for a lot. I don't ask God for a lot. And this is important to me. And he didn't get it. You know what you're saying? You know what you're saying? You're saying, God is the genie of the lamp. He's the genie of the lamp. And you're rubbing that lamp by being a good person. You're rubbing that lamp by being a good mom, a good dad, a good Christian. You rub the lamp and now you deserve three wishes. But God is not a God in a box. He's not a God in a box. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was, was pastor in the... One of, you know, he is by far my favorite writer. The pastor in the 1930s. And there were many in his congregation who had come through and became Christians in the great revival in, in Wales. The Welsh revival. And it was an astounding revival. It, the presence of God was felt everywhere. The whole society was transformed by this revival. And Jones says in his book, which I have, Preaching and Preachers, 25 years later, he says, those converts were tough to have in the church because they'd say, well, pastor, we used to sing these songs. These songs are what you've got to sing for God's work. These are the songs that I became a Christian under. These are the songs. Pastor, even preaching today, we're listening to preachers today. They don't preach like they used to preach. You know what they've done? They put God in a box. The hymns, the preaching are now the bridge. The bridge to God. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. David says to the whole assembly, verse 20, praise the Lord your God. Go after God. Go after God. Go after God himself. Get the presence of God in the middle of your life. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's all through here. Verse 2, David says, with all my resources. See, David gave a ton of money here. I mean, just a boatload of money. The leaders and the people, they gave a lot of money here. So it's, is it about the money? Look at the end of verse 5. Look at the end of verse 5. He says, now who else is going to, what, give money? Who else is going to give money? No, that's not what he says. He says, now who else is going to, what does it say? Consecrate yourself today to the Lord. It's about integrity. It's about integrity before the Lord God. Look at verse 17. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity of who we are. Kierkegaard says, purity of heart is to will one thing. 
It's to will one thing. And for the people of God, it's got to be the presence of God. The presence of God. Remember when the, when the children of Israel were doing battle with the Philistines and things were going very badly and they brought the ark in, but they, they didn't change their lives. They got the ark, but they didn't change their, their lives. They were immoral, they were corrupt, and they said, get the box. <laughs> They're not changing themselves. Get the box. That's not faith. That's not faith. It's actually what we would call mag- it's magic. It's magic. Get the box. Do you know what magic is? Biblically, magic is seeking the power of God without discipleship. Ananias and Sapphira, what is it? Was it Acts 5? Yeah, Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira, no life commitments. No life commitment to God. It's trying to manipulate God, control God. Don't do it. Surrender to him. Surrender to him. Obey him. Serve him. Give your life to him without conditions. You say, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to clean up my life. If you just help me, if you just help me get into the college of my choice, Lord, I'll do this if, I'll do this if, whatever's on the right side there, whatever that is that's right there on that side, that's the real God. That's your God. Because the Lord is now negotiable. The Lord is negotiable. Give me this. This is what I want. I'll, I'll, call, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, Lord, if, if. Well, you don't have a Lord you don't come to the Lord with if. You don't come to Almighty God with if. You just can't. You can't, you can't put it. Whatever's on the other side is the real God, right? This is what I have to have to serve you. God, you're negotiable. You're negotiable. Unless you're willing to say, I'm going to obey whether I understand it or not. Whether I get it or not, I'm going to serve even if my life, it, it doesn't, it, if things are going terrible in my life. And we've had a bad couple of years in the congregation. There's things that all of us are going through. It doesn't matter whether I get the blessings or my prayers seem to be unanswered when I pray. It's the lesson It's the lesson of Job. The presence of God was his greatest treasure. Remember what he said? Even though you slay me, I'll trust you. I'll love you. I'll love you. If I say I'm not going to serve you until, you're putting God you're negotiating. You're negotiating. You're into magic. You're into rubbing the genie, rubbing the lamp. What if somebody said to you, I, I love you. I love you. I love you, Gary. Now I'm done with you. They say, I love you. I want to marry you. 
I'm done with him. And you say, well, why do you love me? Why do you want to marry me? And the person says, well, your, your family's got connections. And uh, they can open a lot of doors for me in my life. Or, or they look and they say, well, I looked at your trust fund. And uh, I'm kind of excited by that. Will you marry me? And the guy says, no. I said, well, why not? Why not? Because you don't want me for me, right? You don't want me for me. You want what I have to bring. You want me for something. No, that's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. What are you going to do with a person like that? You're going to back away from them. You're going to back away from that person, right? You're going to withdraw your presence from that individual. God is doing the same thing. He's a person. He's holy. You're really saying, I don't want you for you. I don't want you. I want the things you give me. I want the things you bring to me. And until you say, I want to serve God for God to get God, you really don't want his presence. And you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. But wait, what about Solomon? Let's go to Solomon just for a minute here. What about Solomon? Did Solomon give his life wholeheartedly to God in devotion? Spoiler alert, no. No. But does he get the temple built? Yes. Does God's glory come in the temple? Yes. Are the people of God devoted so that God's glory stays? No. And we know what happens. It happens over in the book of Ezekiel in the 8th, I think it's the 8th chapter right in there. God gives Ezekiel a vision of the glory of God leaving the temple. You remember? It's leaving the temple because of the immorality. And the children of Israel said, we're, 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 we're doing the rituals. We're doing, a, we're doing the sacrifices. But we'll live the way we want. We'll live the way we want. And the glory left. And the Babylonians came and raised the temple. The Israelites come back after the exile. They rebuild the temple, but there's no glory there. There's no glory there. No ark, no Shekinah glory, because guess what? You can't conjure up what we need to invite the presence of God into our life. You can't conjure that up. Nobody can. Nobody has a pure heart. Nobody wills just one thing. No one's that passionate. No, no one's that pure. Uh, so are we stuck? Are we lost? Is there no one to bridge? See, this is what I keep saying about this whole thing about David. When you're talking about David's life, you're talking about Jesus. This whole thing comes back to Jesus. It comes back to Jesus. Is there anyone... Is there anyone to bridge the gap between us and God? Anyone that's going to bring that presence? And there's a promise that God gives. When David first brings the people together, remember in, in, in the 28th chapter in verse 2, he says, I had it in my heart to build a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant. And God says to David, it's in 1 Chronicles 22, 9. You have to go back to the 22nd verse. David, you're not going to build this. Now listen to me. You're not going to build this. But I have a son 
will be a man of peace and a man of rest. And he will be the one to build the house for my name. He will be my son. I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever and forever. And you say, well, that's hyperbole. Now, wait a minute. This is, this is God talking here. This is, this is Almighty God speaking. Centuries unfold. Old New Testament. The glory is still hidden. Right? In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. In John chapter 2, a man shows up. He stands in the temple. He stands in the temple. The temple was a symbol, remember? It's where people met God. It's where people met God. It's where people gathered to meet God. And of course, people recognized that God could, could never be limited just by the temple because even Solomon recognized that because when he was making a, a point when the temple was being dedicated, he said in, in 1 Kings, he says, but, but, but will God really dwell on the earth? The heavens and even the highest heaven can't even contain God. How much less this temple that I've built when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, there was a building, there was no glory. There was no glory. But John tells us Jesus was the glory. The express glory of God. The presence of God stands in the temple. You see, the, you see what's going on here from the Old Testament? New? Believers who thoughtfully read the scriptures and understand the scriptures will recall Jesus' insistence that he and he makes this incredible claim. He says, and he's pointing to himself, he says, you tear this temple down. In three days I'll raise it up. David says, I, I, I will build a temple. Solomon says, I'll build a temple. And Jesus says, I am the temple. I am the temple. I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. I'm where you meet God. How can that be? Because he's the perfect lamb of God. He's the only person who had loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind. He's the only one who had what the book of Hebrews says, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He's the only one that had the holiness. He earned the presence of God. Can I say that? He earned the presence of God. But at the end of his life, did he get it? Did he get it? Did he get the presence of God at the end of his life? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He earned the presence. He got the absence. His blood was being shed. It was being put on the mercy seat so the glory of God, the presence of God could come into our lives. God made him sin, right? Who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in him. He got the absence we deserved. So when we believe in him, we get the presence. We get the presence. 
David says to the people as he's about to die, people, it's all about God. It's all about the presence of God. And this is the lesson for us this morning. What ultimately matters? God. God. Verse 10. Go back back to chapter 29. Look what it says there. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David's response to all the human willing and the human giving is to bless the Lord. So he says, blessed art thou, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and forever. What does it mean to bless God? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to bless God? It means to say good, true, beautiful things about him. To think good, true, beautiful, wonderful things about him. And that's what David does. Look at verse 11. He begins to bless God. He lifts his face toward heaven now. He says, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. And the word victory there means that it's a persisting thing. It's it's, it's God working and, and, and standing against all resistance. And that resistance is exhausted by God. That's victory. He always wins. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And everything in heaven and earth are yours. So King David realizes where the real throne is, doesn't he? Where the real throne is. I read a story the other day about Lyndon Johnson, who was a former president, you know, of the United States. And during his presidency, he was going out to the tarmac, and they were going to put him on a helicopter, and he was going to fly over to Camp David for the afternoon or the day. And a young Air Force corporal was escorting him. And when they got on the tarmac, there were about 50, 50 helicopters that were out there. And the young man is trying to be helpful to the president. He pointed to one particular helicopter. And he said, Mr. President, this, this is your helicopter, sir. And President Johnson looked at him and he grinned. He says, son, they're all my helicopters. They're all my helicopters. God What's David saying? God is the owner of everything you have. Everything you have. Your clothes, your smelly socks, your car, your computers, your houses, your stocks, your bonds, your children, your real estate, your golf clubs, everything you can think of, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It was an advertising blitz that cost the company $5.4 million for one month of advertising. Over the course of the year, $284 million of advertising. The product, the product. It now has 40 eight, maybe even more now, million customers. It has one question, one question. And that question continually rings in your ears and you hear it and you think about it. And what's the question? What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? I'm gonna tell you, God's money is in your wallet.
God's money is in your wallet. It all belongs to God. He says that in verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. Riches and honor come from you. Everything comes from you. Life, breath, health. You set up and dispose kings and presidents and pastors and people. You raise up leaders. This is your church. This is your people, right? David closes out his leadership with a prayer. Where, where would Solomon, and I'll close with this, get a heart to keep the commandments of God? Where does he get that heart? Look at verse 19, from God. David prays for him, as we pray for our children, right? Oh God, give my son Solomon a whole heart to keep your commandments. And what about us? Well, drop back a verse, verse 18. Oh God, oh Lord, keep these desires and intentions in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts to you. By the way, that's how you get, how you start to get wholehearted devotion. Because when Jesus took his hands off his life for you, and you watch Jesus, and you see Jesus do this, and you see Jesus go to the cross, you're able to take your hands off your own life. You watch him. As we look ahead as a church, we're coming out of this COVID thing. We've got other things that we need to do as we look ahead as a church, as we look at ecclesiastical history. Now think about it. Think about it. I don't care what church it is. Ours, whatever. I don't care what church it is. Even if you go back and you start looking at all the old revivals that were, were, were so powerful, um, you know what they all have in common? You know what they all have, in, all have in common? Extraordinary prayer and the communication of the gospel. Two things. Extraordinary prayer and the communication of the gospel. Everything else is different. Everything else changes. The music's different. The preaching is different. It's all different. God is not going to work at West Highland Baptist Church the same way 20 years from now that he worked 20 years ago. Now listen to me. It's about the presence of God. It's about the presence of God. It's about the glory of God in our lives. You and me. Personal responsibility. In the end... When you look at Jesus and what he did for you, it will be more than enough. It will be more than enough. And you'll be able to take your hands off your life and experience more and more the life-giving presence of God. And David's story comes to an end. David's story comes to an end. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us yourself. Help us to seek your presence. And, yet, and yes, Lord, look at the future, what the future will hold. Help us to be creative. 
Help us to lean upon you, to trust you. Help us to be a people of prayer. And most of all, help us to know you. And help us to know if we have you, we have everything. We have everything. Make us like your son. Make us like your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.